today on Sagittarian Matters, the importance of mentors, money, anarchist business practices, Beth Pickens, and more in part two of our chat with Augusta Yearwood. Stay tuned. Sagittarian Matters, Sagittarian Matters, what's the from Los Angeles, California. I need to tell you about some deeply retro things that I have been getting into this week. One of them is that I'm wearing a sweatsuit that says the future is female. I don't actually believe the future is female because I think the future might be gender neutral, but I do like the sweatshirt. Okay, so I'm wearing a sweatsuit. The second thing is I just did, you know, feminist queer comedy last night in Michelle T and Ali Liebegott's comedy night called Clown Town. This was the fifth time I've done stand-up in my whole life. Every time I do it, I feel like I'm going to have a stroke. I do not have a stroke, but my hand was shaking as I was holding my notes, talking about bad Tinder dates and a zine I did in Portland called Game or No Game, essentially like a hot or not kind of thing. That was all stories about bad first dates my friends and I had been on. And um, the public outcry in Portland was so great that we had to take it out of circulation and pretend like none of us had ever been affiliated with it. But now I'm telling you, but it's out of print, so you'll probably never find it. Anyway, okay, on with the retro thing. I'm getting really into lentils lately. You may remember lentils from the 1970s, maybe the 1980s, possibly a minute in the 1990s. They're so good. They sound boring as hell. But you know what? Lentils, lentils really deliver. They're really good. And you know they're lesbian food. I mean, that's what I've been calling them. I've been making lentil soup for the past couple of weeks. And whether or not you're a lesbian, no matter what your affiliation, you cannot deny that a lentil is a lesbian food. There just are things that are. Like, I think Rocco calls oatmeal lesbian food. And it's true. It just is. You know what? Be whoever you want to be, but just call it what it is. Okay, my favorite lentil soup recipe is, if you Google it, it's called curried brown butter lentil soup and then you just veganize it of course but essentially you get a lot of fats like coconut milk coconut oil whatever you get some caramelized onions you get some lentils you get some greens you put it all together maybe you fry some delicious mushrooms on the side and then you're set i highly recommend revisit that the other thing i want you to revisit and you're going to give me some pushback on this but hear me out is garlic powder I have had garlic powder in my life in many, many years because I'm a snob and I eat fresh garlic. Why would I need garlic powder? Here's garlic clove right here. But I had a mishap at a friend's house where I was eating lesbian food, lentil soup, and I went to grab the nutritional yeast and dump it in my bowl, and I accidentally dumped a heap of garlic powder, and I was horrified until I realized it did some kind of weird alchemy. Is it MSG? I don't know. But it amped up every flavor that was lurking in the soup, and it made it fucking incredible. I felt like my mouth was tripping. Uh, I recommend just just try it. Just like just trust just trust me here. Okay. Some other top snacks this week: dried mango, delicious. Uh, yoga urt. I don't know if I've said this before. It is a froyo place in Glendale, California, with a terrible name. Somebody found yoga and also frozen yogurt at the same time. They called it yoga urt. Um, never get their brownies. It tastes like dust. But do get their peanut butter prana frozen yogurt and cover it in pistachios and you will be thanking me later. I am loving a sauce called majestic garlic. That's essentially a vegan aioli. Um, and if you're in San Francisco, there's something called bitchin sauce. 
that has the logo with a kid saying, mmm, bitchin'. Um, it's quite delicious. It's like a cashew spread with a real kick that makes other cashew spreads look dull and bland in comparison. Um, I do want to tell you that one time I, in the year 2000, was in a punk collective of people that were trying to start a sliding scale anarchist cafe in Portland, Oregon. I suggested the name The Bitchin' Kitchen. Everyone thought I was oppressive. And that's my life as a lifelong punk. Uh, Mary's Gone Crackers is a gluten-free cracker that you probably already know. The Scourge of My Life, the love of my life, is called Kettle Corn. Um, and I just cannot stop eating it. And I love putting frozen kale in a smoothie. Okay, that's all I want to tell you, except for I want to give you a verbal advertisement, which is this. I just published Invincible Summer, issue 24 or 25 issue 24 on my patreon page it is 33 pages of depressing diary comics from when i was finishing fetch you can read it for as little as two dollars a month at patreon.com slash nicole j georges and or you can become producer ponyo's friend as part of her friend club for ten dollars a month so check that out okay on with the show Beth Pickens is an esteemed Capricorn, an arts consultant, a strategic planner and grant writer, and the author of the upcoming book, Your Art Will Save Your Life, out soon with Feminist Press. This book is an expansion of her award-winning pamphlet, Making Art During Fascism. You can find her on Instagram at Beth Pickens Consulting or online at BethPickens.com. Beth joined me in my Prius in Glendale, California, outside of Yoga Art for part two of my interview with Lagusta Yearwood. Lagusta Yearwood runs Lagusta's Luscious, a tiny, heartbreakingly delicious and ethical vegan chocolate shop in upstate New York that is so good. I once booked a tour to New Paltz, New York, just so I could eat her food in person. She also runs a crazy delicious cafe called Commissary and has a chocolate shop in New York City called Confectionary. Now please enjoy my talk with Lagusta Yearwood. Augusta Yearwood and Beth Pickens, welcome to Sagittarian Matters. Thanks, Nicole. What a treat. Very happy to be back. Beth Pickens fan favorite. We are sitting in a hot car outside of Yoga Ert in Glendale, (laughs) California. Love the name? Love it. Love it. Love the Yoga Ert. How was your Yoga Ert? It was delightful as long as i don't have to say the name i think it's it was absolutely fantastic um you're very lucky that this time around they did not have tantric tart (laughs) so that you didn't have to say that out loud i am i feel lucky i feel the luck i follow them on instagram which feeds which like continues on my craving for them and every time i'm like daring people to go there and order tantric (laughs) tantric like the peanut butter is called peanut butter prana yeah and i already feel stupid enough about that yeah Oh, I just got the theme of it all. Yoga. Yoga. It didn't, yeah, it didn't, it didn't come together that fast. I thought it was a yurt. I thought the theme was yurts, but yoga. Somebody got into yoga and then they decided to adopt a plant-based, nut-based diet. Anyway. Welcome, everyone. Welcome. Beth Pickens, I pulled you in as a guest, much like with our Caitlin Dowdy episode, because I thought you would have some incredible businesswoman light to shed upon our opportunity to speak with Lagusta. 
Oh, well, you know, Lagusta is one of my favorite business women. I love how she brands her chocolate company. The products are so delicious. The packaging is beautiful. And also just the personality around it all, I really appreciate. And so, you know, I, I as a consumer, I'm a very loyal c- customer. Mm-hmm. And whenever I find businesses, I think I like the products and the personalities and ethics. How rare does that happen when you find a business that does all the things that you love? And so I'm so excited to ask some business questions today. At the risk of alienating our guest who's sitting right in front of us as we speak about her as if it was her own eulogy or something, what are the things about Lagusta's brand or like public facing persona that make you like her thing? Mm. The, the infusion of politics and humor mm-hmm. in equal turn. I think that's really important because a person can feel... You, like of course, I want I want ethics and politics fused into the things where I spend money. I hope that that can happen. But then when it's also funny and delightful and sort of making self irreverent, like you know what I mean. I, I think I'm using the wrong phrase there, but sort of making fun of oneself while also taking it all very seriously. I appreciate that. Same, same. Ooh, I am blushing hardcore. <laughs> um, that's so sweet. What you guys are both such ideal customers for us too. I mean, I think we we really hope to. I always say that, like, I don't want a lot of customers. I just want really good customers. And I think that that, well, I don't know. I I really, I really appreciate your words because I struggle so much with even just using the word branding. And I feel like everyone now is a brand just with Instagram and social media and just everyone on earth brands themselves in these ways. And I know having a business, I have to do that. And I try to really constantly, um, this sounds incredibly cheesy, but I actually do it a lot. So I'm just going to say it like constantly look in my heart and just actually think, what do I want to put out in the world? You know, and is it a bunch of long string of hashtags and like, Hey guys, it's Wednesday. Like, don't you want some chocolate? Or is it like, are you having a horrible day? You know, do you hate the president too? Here's some fucking shit to buy. (laughs) I don't know. Um, but yeah, I really, really try to sort of, um, just, just do something that's a little bit, I don't know what to say, more, um, honest or authentic and hope that the people who are attracted to that, um, buy our stuff and I can continue paying payroll and that's how the system works and right now it's working so thanks <laughs> yeah I remember was it you that you told me you were talking to Issa Moskowitz who owns Modern Love and she was like what's the or maybe I was telling you that Issa was asking me like what is the trick of having a business and you were like oh just not to not making money <laughs> the trick is that no one makes money um, yeah I think the trick especially in the food world is that I think a lot of times people see kind of high prices on menus and are like, oh, people are raking it in. And definitely some people are. I don't know those people. Um, but, you know, when we do our employee like um, training for new employees, I give this whole little speech. And one thing that I say is that the way you can make money in the food world is by cheap ingredients, cheap labor or cheap overhead. And we don't really have any of those things. So the way that we make money is by working insanely hard and not making very much money. And I'm totally fine with that because... Um, I don't know, money's stupid, who cares, whatever. But I'm also at the point in my life where I desperately want to pay my employees better and I want to kind of crack this code of providing benefits and having really long-term jobs, which, especially in a college town, it's very hard. And it's it's like employee retention is is a real problem. And I think we have... I would love to see like a study about this in my town. I think we have the best employee retention of like any business in town, not to hate on 
all the many other businesses in town that are going to listen to this podcast, but um, not not to say they're not. Yeah. Um, but you know, I just I just really want to provide these great jobs, and that means that I have to make money, and it is something you know that we have to think about. I can't pretend to be above the fray. Um, I completely forgot that my train of thought. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> oh yeah, and when people start, yeah. So so we just say that you know because we don't have these, you know, we don't buy cheap vegetables and cheap chocolate and cheap fruit and things. Um, and we don't have cheap labor costs, so we just have to be scrappier, and we can't waste food, and we can't make mistakes, and we have to just do a really, really great job at our jobs because that's how the you know there's not a lot of of profit margin built in, you mm-hmm. know. And I think that by being totally transparent with my employees, that's really worked, and everyone really cares about the brand, and is really, you know, our our manager Adrian that I was just talking about is all the time saying to me, you know, I'll have this idea for a chocolate or something and we'll talk about it in our manager's meetings. And she's just very blunt saying like, that's not going to make enough money. We can't make that. And I love that. That's, you know, like I, if anything, I'm almost the worst at business of so many people who work at the, at the, at the coffee shop and the chocolate shop and the manager at our cafe commissary is, is always looking at the bottom line and seeing ways we can save money without, you know, not using organic ingredients. And we have all these I find very fun conversations about like um, biodegradable garbage bags cost like five times more than non-biodegradable. Like at what point does do you get to this level of where, like how much can we care about things? And I always like talking about that kind of stuff. So, yeah. What do you think goes into making a good boss? Huh. I think about this all day, every day. Um, I've struggled with this so much. I mean, a couple, probably in 2012, I realized... Um, that I was going to have to be a boss probably forever. And I literally had such a nervous breakdown that I left work, sat in a hotel room in my town and was like, I either have to close the businesses or learn how to be a boss today. Like I have to make this choice right now. Um, and I decided to learn how to be a boss and it's been so hard for me. And I think it's so hard for any feminist, any person who has problems with power structures. And I'd say it's only in the past year that I'm even comfortable saying like, words like employees or boss or my staff. And now I'm just like, there's 26 of these people. They depend on me for their livelihoods. So I might as well get better at learning this. Um, so for me, what I've learned, and I'm still working on it every second is, um, having very clear expectations. That's what pretty much everyone says in job interviews and performance reviews that we have is that conveying what we want out of people and how they can get there. Um, the thing that I think about all the time is trying to be on the side of my employees, which is easy because I fucking love them. Should I not swear? Go ahead. <laughs> okay. Um, <clears throat> and I feel like I would literally take a bullet for like everyone that works for me because they're all just these amazing people. And one thing that's really sad to me is that since I employ a lot of people in a college town, I'm getting older, but they're almost all staying the same age. And with some exceptions, I mean, some people are staying and getting older, but, um, it used to be that everyone who worked at like the chocolate shop was just my friends and we would hang out and we'd have parties. And those are still my friends, even though some of them don't work at the chocolate shop anymore. And now, you know, people are 21 and they'll have a party and I'm like, I'm not going to go to your party. I'm 39. That's ridiculous. (laughs) you're drinking. Come on. Um, but that's sad because they're all fascinating people. Um, so whenever someone's doing something that I feel like is not up to our standard or whatever, instead of just being mad about it and, 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 you know, taking out that anger on them or whatever, I try to take a minute and really be like, I know that this person is trying to do a good job and how am I 
failing at letting them know how they can do that, you know, or how not to put it all on me, but sort of um, just kind of starting with the expectation that everyone wants to do well. And I think that kind of changes the conversation a lot and is really kind of empowering for everyone. And and um, I don't know, there's a million ways I think that I could improve, but I'm, I'm enjoying the process of kind of figuring it out. And I, I'm not a people person, so that's also very hard for me, but I'm really devoted to my staff. And I really actually enjoy figuring out for them, like what kind of boss they need and how I can tailor how I am to their needs in a nice way. It's, it's so much like having a relationship, you know, you interview these people and it's like your first date and you're just like, are we going to get along? Is this going to change my life? Like, you know, how's this going to go? And, um, I think I've, I've gotten a lot better at really tapping into my intuition about people, which is never wrong. And that's sometimes hard because sometimes you really want to hire someone, but you're just like, I see a lot of signs that I shouldn't, you know, and, and kind of just really trying to, um, go with that. So are you able to share what red flags look like to you in an interview? Um, it's hard to say without using the word crazy. I mean, but a lot of it is just, yeah, I, this maybe is bad to say, but what we talk about when we do interviews with like the managers and I is, would you want to spend eight hours a day alone in a room with this human? And I think when you look at things that way, because that is what you're doing, you're spending eight hours with someone. Sometimes if you're like in robing chocolates, you're sending them through a little chocolate waterfall, you're four inches from them the whole time, you know, you're <clears throat> like on, like in their personal space. And, you know, I think that it, you really just want, it's so simple. The people are looking for, you really just want a sane person that you can be around. And within that framework, we can work with all kinds of personalities. You know, we can work with someone who's super high energy or who's super not high energy, as long as they want to learn and want to do a good job and are like kind, we can deal. And that's kind of what I've realized. It's, it's pretty funny running a pretty high end, like chocolate shop and a cafe for that matter. But, um, in a college town where a lot, you know, we're, where there's, we can't hire for vegan chocolatiers cause that's not a market or even chocolatiers. So we just look for people who want to learn things. And I think it's really beautiful. The amount of people we've taught how to make these like super intricate chocolates that most people go to pastry school to make. And we're like, here's the recipe. I'll walk you through it. Here we go. We're done. You know, it's like really, I think this cool, like punk thing of like, it's just not that hard and let me teach you how to do it. So yeah. Yeah. I feel like that touches on a few things. Like Beth and I are adjacent to the entertainment industry. And I feel like that's how people get jobs there too. Is like, would you want to be in a room with this person? every day for this many months yeah um you know i feel like it goes across all industries like i don't mean to threaten my students but when i have students in mfa programs who are being a pain in the ass Mm -hmm. versus students who are there to learn and are grateful for whatever they're taking from the program and they have manners Mm -hmm. i'm just like i'm not trying to threaten those of you that have no manners but i'm just saying like in the future if someone's like hey i want to hire this person to work closely with on a project i'm not going to refer the person who was a diva and a pain in the ass to people that had their best interests at heart. You know, it's going to be the people that were easy to work with because a lot of people are skilled. A lot of people can Mm -hmm. show up on time, but not everybody is pleasant to be around. And so Mm -hmm. that's kind of life's a life's work. Yeah. I think that's a skill that is important for people to learn from bosses or teachers or mentors to learn how to be self reflective and know what are you like to be around Mm -hmm. in different environments? Because a lot of people don't have that. Yeah. And I think that people just think like, oh, I'm just being me. 
which is fine. And, you know, we have tons of space for all different kinds of personalities. But I think within that framework of, of course, you have to be true to yourself. You also have to think about how is my energy affecting those around me? And I think sometimes that conversation maybe gets a little bit lost and people don't realize like, yeah, you're just being yourself, which is fine. But you're also really acting ludicrous <laughs> in this public, you know, group space right now where we all have to do our jobs. So, yeah. Yeah. So when you went into the hotel room and you did a deep dive into, yeah. I either have to close this thing or yeah. I need to become a boss. Did you use any materials or resources? Um, let me think what did, you know, now I'm much more into, I guess like self-help resources that are super useful for me. I'm so sorry about the Prius. <laughs> Is it overheating? I just was trying to turn on the air conditioner in our mobile studio. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, no, then I was super just uh, not into reading anything about any sort of, I don't know what, maybe a better phrase than self-help, but it's been so useful for me lately. But I think then I remember I Googled, um, like mental asylum near me. Cause I was just like, these are my options. Learn how to be a boss or go away forever. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I think I just, I mean, I have been going to therapy for a while, so that's been really great to help me with, you know, I have this, jo- can I tell you guys my therapy joke? Yeah. Okay. I think you're, I think this is the audience for it's it. It's a safe I'm space super, for th- Ponyo's ready. Okay. I'm super excited. Um, it's pretty terrible. So my therapy joke is that every like woman in the world should go to therapy and just have free therapy so that someone can just say to them for one hour, you're not bad or 50 minutes. And then for me, it's basically my therapist saying to me for 50 minutes, you're not bad. And then I go out in the world and for like 15 minutes, I'm like, wow, I'm not bad. And then probably like by minute 16, I'm like, wait, am I bad? And like, it just comes right back. But I feel like every like cis white man should go to therapy and have someone say to him for 50 minutes, you are bad. And like, <laughs> if we just flip, if we just had these, these little, if you just had that once a week, how great would society be? If men started with the expectation of like, wait, maybe my, maybe it's bad what I'm starting with. And let me analyze that. And if women started with, you know, I'm not bad. Mm-hmm. Let me, is that a terrible joke? I know <laughs> this is a good I I always think I like on Twitter I'm like what if everyone just stopped criticizing women for one day? Yeah. Just even for one day, just any woman. Or an any hour. any woman at all just like don't criticize them. And this is why I've never tweeted my most valuable insight which is that I think that Taylor Swift talks about having a sense of humor in her songs as often as Missy Elliott talks about shaving her chocha in different songs. And I think they both protest a bit too much. I think I never would have thought that about either of them. But now that they both mentioned it so many times, I'm absolutely certain that Taylor Swift has no sense of humor and that Missy Elliott has a full bush. And I never tweet this because I don't want to make anyone think I'm making fun of women because I don't make fun of women in public because everyone else makes fun of women or calls women crazy or whatever, whatever. Anyway. Yeah. This is in yeah. line with your therapy joke. Absolutely. But okay. So, so resources you looked up when you were in your hotel room to be, be a better <laughs> boss were what's my nearest mental asylum. <laughs> and then how did you then come up with the resources to go back and be a boss and not be in a straight jacket? Um, I mean, it was a, what, five, six year process, you know, yeah. and I, and every performance evaluation I give, which is like, we have a little meeting before we give people their annual raise, um, where we just talk about how they're doing. And then I always say, how am I doing as a boss and what can I do better? And that's kind of where I learned that a lot of people talk about like clear, clear clarity of expectations and, um, you know, so I, I try to just be super open with everyone about, um, kind of where I'm at with things. And, um, I don't know, it's just been a a really 
really day by day, step by step process of here's our goals. How do we get there? How can we all be kind to each other and still reach our goals? You know, it's Mm -hmm. kind of that simple. Do you have a mentor and or do you mentor anybody? Oh, okay. Um, I don't know that I have. I have had a couple people that I've, you know, really... I'm trying to think of who exactly looked at their... You know, sometimes you also have, like, anti-mentors. I can think of someone in particular <laughs> I won't mention, but where I'm like, wow, the way you run your business, I'm never going to do it that way. And I see a lot of problems that arise from the way you do this. Um, but I have a lot of books that I love. Um, the Zingerman's Deli has this series, Ari Weisen's wig or something. I don't really know his name. Um, but he has a series of books that are really cool. I made fun of them for years because they're called, like, Elapsed Anarchist Guide to, like, Running a Business. But he actually does have a pretty good anarchist viewpoint and it really is starting from the idea of of taking away power and not accumulating power and sort of leading with your heart and it is kind of really beautiful i'm i'm really touched by what they've done at zingerman's which is this like totally non-vegan deli in michigan um yeah can well, I, yeah can i just um, add zingerman's i got my wife a coffee month coffee cake oh, of the month club yeah. for her last birthday she just got her final coffee cake cool yeah was it a great experience interacting with them yeah <laughs> totally easy great packaging right yeah so what they've done basically and this is totally what I want to do in the small town of New Paltz, New York, is they've just opened up business after business after business. And it started out with a deli. And now it's like a candy shop, a pizza place, a brewery. Like, I don't even, I think it's like 15 businesses, um, like a catering business and all this. And what they've done is whenever they have a good person, they kind of talk to them and say like, is there any business you'd like to run? How can we open this with you? How can we make this happen? And I've talked to my staff about that. I'm nowhere near, you know, being at that level. But um, I just had a talk with someone recently because I made a really big mistake actually at commissary of promoting someone to be a manager and someone else had worked there longer. And it was just a huge fuck up and I felt terrible. And we had a good meeting about it. And I was just like, I am so sorry. But one thing I said to this person was, you're so great at this. I'd really love to work with you in another context or in a commissary. But, um, you know, and let's think about a business that like we could run together and as a long term goal. But um, yeah, so those books are really great. I think there's four or five of them about like being a better leader and being uh, just all kinds of things. Um, Those are really good. There's this book, um, Hello, Beautiful Business. You know, it's by this woman, Judy Wicks, um, and she runs this white dog cafe in Pennsylvania. And it's really cool. It's um, very political, and, and she's done amazing things. She's running a restaurant, so it's also very slim profit margins. But she would say things like, you know, we wanted this, um, this uh, bartender to, like, I don't know, go to college. So we paid for his college. And just um, the ama- like amazing ways that she's treated her staff that are really inspiring that I couldn't quite figure out how she was f- like making it work. Um, but I think just through like being smart at business and just doing it. Um, it's like yeah. Undercover Boss. Yeah. This is what they do on Undercover oh, Boss. Yeah. They go in, the boss, the owner of the company puts on a mustache and some fake teeth and a wig <laughs> and goes in and is like, oh, you're, you're an employee. Here to help. And then he gets to know the people at the lower levels that are super dedicated to the business. He's like, what are your goals? And they're like, my kid has crutches. And then at the end, he has a big reveal where he's like, recognize me. And he takes off the fake teeth and the mustache. <laughs> and he's like, I bought your kid a wheelchair, whatever, new legs, or I'm sending you to college, or I'm giving you whatever this thing you need to like graduate night school and have your own franchise or whatever. And people are so wow. grateful and feel very seen. Why couldn't they just talk to the why couldn't the boss just talk? Uh oh. Panyo saw me. <laughs> it's a man. There's a man on the land. Shh. Oh boy. 
Right. Why couldn't the boss just talk to the people? I'm confused about that. Well, he just wanted to get under... Because also, then he also busts people that are doing a bad job. They're like, fuck KFC. Look what I'm doing. I'm spitting in the person's order. And then he's like, oh, I'm taking note of that. <laughs> well, yeah, that does sound really fun. I have, I have like, f- secret friends that come into, like, now that I'm on vacation, who, like, come into the businesses and, like, kind of tell me things. And I feel like all my employees know who those friends are. And they're like, fucking hate you. Like, <laughs> But, you know, you got to keep up your quality control standards somehow. It's really hard. Not to be a Seinfeld, but have you ever noticed that I never try to sell you Blue Apron on the podcast? Or that we do not disparage and bemoan trips to the post office in favor of Stamps.com? Well, it is because we have no advertisers. Zero. Producer Chris, producer Ponyo, and myself do this out of the goodness of our hearts. Because we like it. If you would like to tip producer Chris Sutton, who dedicates hours to this series every week, please, 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 please send your tip of $5, $10, who knows how much. That's your business via PayPal to hornetleg at gmail.com. That is hornet, like the insect, leg, like one of his appendages, at gmail.com. If you do this, we will read your name on the podcast. Isn't that exciting? We may have advertisers someday, and we'll rant and rave about free sex toys and mattresses and Blue Apron and whatever, but in the meantime, thank you. We appreciate your support, and I look forward to saying your name on the podcast. Producer Ponyo looks forward to it, too. That was Ponyo's voice. Don't be scared. Bye. Thank you this week to Shoshana Ruth Wechter, Brett Schmidt, Mary Pinson, and Christy Harrod. Thank you. Pickens, I'm going to turn the tables on you for a second. I want to know what your feeling about mentors is. What is your philosophy on mentors? I think mentorship is crucial, and I think it's deeply feminist to teach another person um, and to then to ask for help and then give help. I think it's really important. I think it's something men are socialized to do, even if it's not called mentorship. It's called like, can I take you out for a drink and ask you things? And because we are socialized, generally speaking, to have a hard time asking for help and asking for information. And we think we should already know how to do everything. And if we don't, then we're dumb and bad. And just all the other things that culture teaches us. And a mentor, you know, they they just help. They help soften some of the rough edges of learning and give you support because you know when you're a boss or when you run your your own business you don't have a you don't have a cool boss helping you learn Mm -hmm. you're on your own and you need like we all still need support and need ourselves reflected back at us and I think a mentor can help do that too yeah and then my other question to turn on you is um what would you have told you have your own business Mm -hmm. but would you have told yourself going in or what is the thing that you see you've worked with a lot of artists Mm -hmm. What is some baseline advice that you would tell a lot of them that are going off on their own with their art as their primary business venture? Mm. I mean, one of the main things people want to talk about is money and how to live in the world of capitalism when you feel critical of it. And the thing is, like, we have to live in the world of money even while we're critiquing it. You can't barter your rent. It doesn't work in America. And so a lot of my clients, different levels of socialization have taught them to not know how to grapple with money and to hate it or be afraid of it and all of these things. And so they often have questions about how to value objects or materials or their time or their performances, whatever. And I, the thing I learned from a mentor early on when it came to how to ask for money was to say as, ask for as much money as you can say with a straight face. Mm-hmm. That's a good. 
That's great. Tara Perkins told me that too. I feel like I've always wanted to ask you for your Instagram thing, but both of you, I feel like it applies as like, what do you do when you're, you know, like I come from a punk environment full of under earners who are like money. Um, and then I'm like, how do I feel good about charging for things that not everyone can afford? You know, like I've had, I had to take a break from doing pet portraits for a few years before I, so that I could, cause I was under pricing them because every time someone asked how much they cost and I told them mm-hmm. and they were like, Oh, I was like, Oh no, I'm hurting someone. I'm hurting them because they deserve custom art of their pet. And I had to take three years off to like have my own kind of Alanonic process around it and be like, what am I? Why? why I, so then I had to come back and be like, no, these are the prices. Mm-hmm. This is how much I need to get paid. Mm-hmm. You don't need custom art in your life. But then I felt like a weird, you know, the twinge mm-hmm. of charging more than a lot of people I know and my direct community can afford. I think one thing that's really great in the food world for me with that, with those prices or with, with feeling comfortable about prices is costing. We have this great costing software where we know, and I never, I used to just make things up because I didn't know. And now I'm like, I know why that's $10 and that's because it costs us $3 and that's, you know, our rent is this and we have to have this and with labor it costs this. So I feel very confident saying that. I think in the art world, that's obviously a lot harder. And it's like valuing um, your labor more. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And we, we try to add in a cost for like our over head and you know taxes and literally everything so that you know and it's pretty shocking when you see um the actual costs of things and it's made us so much better and more confident with our prices and you know yeah yeah i don't feel bad well i i keep my rates they ride the line of affordable to many people while also being an hourly rate that i'm happy with i am going to be raising them again in 2018 and it makes me nervous i'm still just a human um but I I do my pro bono work. Like, I do my volunteerism. That's where I give back to people. And I don't know. I just, like, I don't walk into the dentist assuming they're going to give me something. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, if somebody wants to negotiate with me or ask me for something, that would be one thing. But guess what? Nobody ever does. Nobody says, like, could you give me a discount? Maybe I would. I don't know. It would depend on the situation. Um you know, I have very little patience for people who complain loudly about prices because I have in-depth information about people's financial lives. And I can tell you, you have no idea how much other people have. And sometimes people who sort of like perform brokenness are not broke at all and have a massive safety net. And other people who are overspending are deeply in debt and have nothing. And I've seen this now with a number of people that I just realized like, you have no idea how much a person has or doesn't have. You really don't know. Oh my gosh. I think about this so much, and this relates to what you and I were talking about yesterday, of growing up with like no money, that my, my, my framework is so different from some people. You know, I think if you grew up with a certain level of like even middle class or above comfort, you're like, oh, I need these, you know, I don't have money. It means something very different. Whereas for me, I'm like, wow, I had a couple dollars left after paying payroll. This is amazing. You know, and a lot of people are like, you know, I don't feel comfortable unless I'm banking this much for savings every month and whatever. And I've realized that's been one thing for me about having a business too, is being like, I need to think about the future. I need to think about, you know, all these other costs and not just living in this punk way of like, well, we're getting by, that's fine. And, you know, because I don't know. Yeah, exactly. I don't know other, I I know for myself, what I've come to see is that my, um, I don't know how to say it, like my comfort level with how much money I have is really ridiculous. <laughs> and you know, if, if that makes sense. So, yeah. yeah. 
see, I see. Yeah, and as we get older, our relationship with money should change, you yeah. know? Because developmentally, the things you think are important and what the future looks like when you're 26 is very different than when you're 40. So we have to start thinking differently about money. And um, not everyone's at that developmental stage, but... I think anytime somebody feels guilty asking for money, I know there's a deeper root there that we have to get at that's probably not about money. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Beth has these like intakes with people where they talk about money and everyone starts crying. Oh, I bet. Everybody starts crying. Well, I'm like, I'm in the middle of negotiating for something now Mm -hmm. and somebody sent an email saying, Nicole tried to negotiate for more than what I had actually negotiated for. And I was like, no, no, don't tell them that. Don't make them think I asked for too much. Oh, God. You know, yeah, I'm like, forbid. I wish I could do it for free. I wish I could do everything for free. I just, yeah. 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 But Beth, the, go back to the thing you said. I do kind of like choosing where you're going to give your charity to. So like for me, like I give, like I volunteer with senior citizens with dementia and physical disabilities. That's what I do. So when a punk person, an able-bodied young white punk person is like, I can't afford that. Can I have a deal? I'm like, yeah. no, I already, you know, or someone's like, I have a feminist organization that wants to sell this thing and give you nothing, mm-hmm. you know, or like take your labor for something and never give it back and make it into perpetuity. I'm like, that's yeah. not my choice of where I'm giving right. yeah. to. So I make sure I'm like, I volunteer at Rock Around Camp for Girls. I volunteer with senior citizens. I give to animal rights organizations. I do this and this and this. Mm-hmm. That's all. Yeah. I've done my due diligence. It's not for like a person that feels entitled to custom art. Right. Yeah. Right. I've gotten to be a lot like that too. Cause I get these emails that are, when I used to have this vegan meal delivery service, I would get emails all the time that would just say, how do you do this? Can I do it? And you know, and I'm like, what are you asking? Like, this is something that took, took me 10 years of my life to learn how to do. I'm, you know, and so now I'm, I am a little bit more like I do my, I do my things. I do my volunteer things and you know, other things I answer in a nice way, but I'm not going to spend two hours saying, here's how I do everything in my life to a random email. But, um, two things I wanted to throw out to the the brilliant minds here. One, do you think, am I just being an old person now, or do you think younger people do not really volunteer? Like, when I was a kid, I feel like so many people I knew had volunteer works, not like not volunteer jobs, not just because it looked good on a resume, but because that's kind of how I, I was very much raised to have, you know, mm-hmm. have this belief of you always do a little volunteer thing. And I just don't see that. Am I being a mean, mean to millennials person? But I'm very confused by it, and it makes me very sad and upset. I don't see it either. I wonder if people feel like they're performing activism by sharing things online and scolding people online. But I mean, online existed when I I have always volunteered. Yeah. I don't know. Like my Catholic school made me volunteer, but I already just wanted to volunteer. I love doing jobs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what that, I'd be curious to see what the actual data is. Like if volunteerism is down in certain sectors or age groups, I, I don't actually know. I know. Yeah, I would I would like to know. I was on my local planning board for 6 years and then this summer my life just got too crazy and I quit and now it feels very strange to not have like a actual volunteer job, mm-hmm. you know, and I kind of hated the planning board so it made me feel like an extra good volunteer because it wasn't fun <laughs> in any way. Just um, briefly, you refused to say the pledge of allegiance oh, yeah. at the planning board and it became almost a nationwide scandal. It was a nationwide scandal. Yeah, and it um it, the someone on our planning board went to Fox News. I guess apparently she was on a lot of channels. I only saw the Fox News one, and they played a clip of me saying that saying the Pledge of Allegiance was third grade and silly. And I woke up to literally lots and lots of like death threats and terrible emails and just insane voicemails, and it became this whole deal. But the funny thing was, I live in the most liberal tiny town, and it was no one in my town. And when I finally 
posted on the New Paltz Facebook page, the hotbed of gossip in our town, <laughs> about how I was like getting these death threats and my business was, someone created this um, like support Augusta's Luscious Day and it was our busiest day ever. It was busier than Christmas or Valentine's. It was just me standing at the front counter just talking to everyone about how much they hated the Pledge of Allegiance and people buying like lots of chocolate. And it actually turned out to be this insanely heartwarming day where I, yeah. but yeah, now still around town, people are like, she won't say the Pledge of Allegiance. <laughs> I love that you said it was like third grade it is like third grade yeah so I mean my mom just raised me to not take loyalty oaths you know it's just a sketchy thing and I'm an anarchist and I'm not gonna do that but um can I say another quick thing about mentorship um one thing I thought of is that well one now that we're talking I think a really cool thing for because I'm having the back of my mind percolating is my next little volunteer project it could be really cool to do like a more formal mentor program so thanks for that um but also I really feel like I live in this amazing community where they're not really so much older than me but I I like two so I have these three businesses really and two of them I co-own with other people and so we have and we're all really close and we all work I see everyone every day um and so it's really great to have that kind of feedback from other people that you trust and running a business with someone else and and the chocolate shop that I run by myself we have these three managers who pretty much run the whole place actually I kind of don't do anything um and you know just having that level of support and that community of of um people you see regularly that you can totally be open with it's it's almost like I don't know if there's a word for a mentor that's like kind of on your level but it's really I don't know how I would do it without them without having these people to bounce ideas off of and things it's really wonderful well I kind of feel like one of your strengths as a business person which you haven't mentioned is that you have the ability to delegate to hire people you trust, train them well, delegate and leave it alone. Where I've known other people, my sister owned a chocolate shop in Kansas City. I'm throwing out its curveball at the last minute. Wow. Curveball at the last minute. My sister, Mary Lemon, owned a place. She bought a place called Onador's Chocolates where she had worked as a young person. Oh. And that was her, some of her, like, that was some wisdom that I gave. She asked me for, I don't know, anyway. But I, somebody I used to work with, you know, I was like, what was your secret? She was a great business owner, and she was like, hire people you trust, and then let them do their thing. Yeah. And I tried to tell my sister, who loves controlling a situation, mm-hmm. and it was really hard for her, and it didn't work out for her. Mm-hmm. And I've had other friends that have had a hard time finding people they trusted enough to just let let yeah. go with their fucking their dream and their investments and their business and everything. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's such a huge thing that you do well, it well, appears. Let me tell you, I also love control, and... Um, delegating sucks and I do it all the time because I have to because otherwise I wouldn't be able to live and it's kind of a double-edged sword where sometimes I you know I I look at chocolates and I'm like oh I wish they'd done that this like slightly different way but then other times you you turn something over to someone and you're literally like this is my heart like I'm giving you it's just these recipe on a piece of paper but I've worked on it for you know my whole adult life and then someone looks at it and they're like what if we did this and then there's always this moment with me where I have to like really check myself and I think my training as like a political person and a feminist and really kicks in and I'm like that is the best fucking idea I've ever heard you know and like someone who has this like you know that term like zen mind beginner's mind you know will look at something in a new way and it's happened so many times where they'll have this innovation that just like I, I don't know, I could point to like specific examples in, in the chocolate shop where it's just like, wow, I would have never thought that. And they, they haven't been trained as like a pastry chef. So they kind of have this cool new perspective in that way where they're not like, this is just how you do things. And, you know, it happens so often where people just make your job better because they're smart and great, but you have to give them that space to, you know, do things. 
the other side of that is that a lot of times I'm disappointed and sad and I have to like deal with, you know, that, but it's never because someone's like a bad person. It's just because, wow, you haven't been doing this specific technique for 10 years like I have. So, you know, you'll put in your time and work on it. And we have, um, someone, Chloe, who's so great, who's this amazing chocolatier and she's an amazing artist and we make these barks and I can always tell Chloe's barks and no shade on anyone else at the shop. Everyone would agree. Um, but her barks are just like, next level amazing and whenever she's making them we all kind of gather around and we're like how are you doing this like slightly better than all of us and um amazingly can i just say chloe was gonna quit and i think i roped her back in <laughs> i'm so psyched i you blackmailed her yeah no i just was <laughs> like so yeah i was just like i can offer you um a raise like let's talk about this because you are amazing and it'll be so sad you know to not have you and at first she was like oh let me think about it and then i just got an email from her yesterday that was like well let's talk and i was just like yay so yay. i hope by the time this podcast comes out chloe is still working at the shop so a question i have is now that you have these businesses and you have, if not always the huge like profit success that another small business might be reaching for, you have all these other sort of modes of success. What would you tell yourself now going, when she was starting businesses or thinking about starting her first business, what are some of the most important lessons or surprises that you would give her insight into? Okay. I have a really dumb answer to this, which is that I did everything wrong and I would not do anything different at all. Um, my only thing that I would say is to have tons more money <laughs> than I had. I mean, I didn't know how to run a business. I just wanted to work for myself and didn't want to have a boss and was an anarchist, man-hating, feminist, vegan who just wanted to live apart from the world. And I think that desire did create this business and it, and it's become like a real business. But, um, I kind of like that I started out not knowing anything because I made so many ridiculous mistakes, but it taught me ways of doing things that are very hard won and that are very dear to me because I learned them. So, um, it was so hard for me to learn all these lessons. And I feel like if I'd gone, I actually just gave a talk recently at NYU and like the, to all these business students and they had so many business questions and they were like, how did you scout your locations for your businesses? And I was like, uh, the building the chocolate shop was in was being bought by the bank. So it was the only building in town we could afford. And I just scraped together money. Like there's no, I don't have businessy answers to any questions because I wouldn't even have known how to go about thinking about those things. But what were the biggest mistakes you made? Um, I mean, honestly, I wouldn't, well, I mean, I've made little mistakes, but I feel like for me, it was just such a, I feel like my business is this actual, I hate to even say this because I think the American dream is a, is a fake thing, but I think for a white college edu educated middle-class person, it's maybe somewhat attainable where I just worked really, really hard for years and didn't make a lot of money and kind of scraped my way to having a real business. Um, I mean, mistakes. Yeah. I like undervalued myself a ton and sold things until recently we were selling, you know, like our labor costs were so high on some chocolates that when we figured out, like, are we actually making any money on this? You know, especially like wholesale and things where we give discounts where there's not a huge profit margin. So why give a big discount? Um, yeah, like mistakes of co of do like not costing things and not seeing the, the true cost of things that I've gotten a lot better with. But, um, yeah, I don't know. If someone had given me, what, like a million dollars to start out the businesses at the level they're at now, I think that would have been disastrous because I wouldn't have known 
what to do with that. So I would have made tons more mistakes. But I think in the beginning, the stakes were so high that I couldn't, or stakes were so low because I had no capital that I couldn't make a ton of mistakes because there was, you know, I was just cooking illegally out of my house. And, you know, it was just like trying to, trying to pay my rent and my student loans. So yeah, I don't know. I definitely, it definitely was not a smart way to start businesses, but I think it was the way that worked for me. And I'm a very, I'm just a person who learns in a very private way. Like I can take to take like a business class. I don't know. I'm just glad I did things my way. It wasn't a smart way. <laughs> there's, there's your advice for you. <laughs> All right. Beth Pickens, final thoughts. Any last questions? Final thoughts. What did, what's your outside of your businesses? What's your dream of amazing thing that will happen to you out in 2018? What do you want out of 2018? Oh, outside. Well, I mean, I have this cookbook. I don't know if that's outside the businesses, but I have to finish that and it's so much work. Um, but I'm really doing it in this cool, I think cool, like DIY way where I'm taking all the photographs myself and trying to really, um, make it be a real labor of love. I mean, obviously, but, um, but yeah, so that's exciting. Um, truly outside of work. I don't know. I do yoga now. (laughs) Um, no, I don't, I think I'd like to like have, I've been taking one day off a week and that's really great for me and kind of new, like to really not think about work. And, you know, I'd like to really not look at my phone on that day, you know, just, I guess live like a human being just like all of us. But yeah. What about you? Um, I have a book coming out in 2018, and I wanted to ask you, when when is your book coming out, and what press? Um, it comes out fall 2019, and it's Decapo Press, um, which is owned by Hachette. Um, so, yeah, I'm super psyched about it. I have a really good editor who's really, um, I think, into my vision for it and kind of bringing that into being. So I think it's going to be good. But, um, yeah, what's your book? My book is called Your Art Will Save Your Life, and it's coming out on Feminist Press in April. Wow. Cannot wait. Woo. Get ready to be on the podcast every minute leading up to your book. Yay. Oh, thank God. Thank God. Um, I want to know, like, as to my final thought for you is, what is your, what is your favorite? Like, uh, you're eating your dream foods at home for a day. Your dream yeah. home foods. Um. Yeah, I have this thing where, like, when I'm by myself, I only eat like noodle miso soups like Japanese there's like super simple like sauteed greens and noodles and what time of day do you begin eating soup oh yeah well thanks for that Nicole (laughs) I'm a proponent of a savory breakfast um i.e. breakfast soup it's the way to live it's so great I just feel so good when I have like so we have at our cafe this like miso noodle soup and it's just it's just a great way to start the day. And we started putting um, cheese sauce from our mac and cheese in it. Mm. And it makes it this like creamy breakfast soup. And it's, it is just delightful. Can you tell me something really quick? Yeah. I love miso. Sometimes I trip out about nutrition and I'm like, what is it? Is it just sodium? Is all I'm doing for myself eating sodium right now? No. Well, yeah. I mean, I've made a lot of miso in my day and it's really fun to make because it takes years and it's really fun to have a years long food project happening. Um, I think this is the only time in my life when I only have like one or not my whole life my recent life. I only have like one miso going and I feel like a real loser, but, um, but no, I mean, it is tons and tons of salt, but because it's fermented, I think that absolves you of everything. So, and it's like, you know, it's pretty good, like deep magic nutrition of fermentation. Um, and you can kind of make miso from anything. So is, is lactic acid vegan? Are olives vegan? Good question. Yes. Olives are vegan. Have, have we, have you talked about figs? 
fig. All right, here's the deal with figs. It's figs. some kind of gross insect <laughs> crawls into the hole of a fig and its wings get ripped off and it dies. But then, That's the thing with a fig. You're not eating the insect. I've done a lot of research. There's a lot of misconceptions going around. Olives? No. Some, I, what about somebody asked me if truffles were vegan because pigs were involved. I mean, honestly, that is a sketchy um, area, but honestly, like, what vegan is eating, like, $1,500 a pound truffles? I don't know. Not me. There was someone that wanted to include truffle salt in her, like, vegan cheese-making kits, and then, like, one vegan somewhere was like... But most truffle that's low-cost available for truffle salt and stuff, that's just created in a lab. That's not actual truffle. That's just they pull out the the components that give you the flavor and smell. You mean when I'm eating pipcorn? That's truffle salt flavored. That hasn't been harvested by a swine. <laughs> it was harvested by a scientist in a lab. Yeah, no, I think that's a good point. But I think a lot of truffle salt sometimes is, like truffle oil, I feel like is always just like artificial chemicals plus oil. But yeah, no, it's true. I mean, for me, it goes to the question of here we are trying to be human beings on this earth. And we're obviously all trying to do better. But yeah, I know truffles. Also, I think there are sometimes they're not their pigs aren't used. There's all you know. There's different kinds of truffle harvesting operations. Orphans who are trained yes. to sniff truffles. <laughs> Orphans. Yeah. Can I tell you my cutest vegan story? Yeah. Um, I have this really great dentist. He just retired actually, and he's a really good example of knowing his worth because he's the most expensive dentist in town. But it was so worth it because you're never scared to go to him, and he's like this Zen guy. And anyway. Um, and, you know, we'd always have, like, good talks about life. So one time I had to get this tooth implant, and he sits me down for the consult for it. And he was like, okay, listen, um, usually we pack the space around the tooth with bones. So I just ordered these cow bones, and I'm sure they're from, like, a slaughterhouse, and they're terrible. So I want to let you know that for you, I special ordered human bones. So, wow, isn't that amazing? So I have human bones in my mouth and I was just like, this is the nicest thing anyone has ever done for me. So what if it came from a man? Just I know, know, right? (laughs) Who knows? I love it. What if he was killed so you could have that implant? (laughs) Exactly. A man died for your tooth implant. (laughs) Well, I think that's a great place to leave off. Thank you so much for sitting in my mobile podcast studio. Both of you. Thank you, Nicole. You're such a hero of mine and Beth. I love your podcast and your art, and I love your caramel and your chocolate so much. Well, look at us. What's your favorite thing that she makes? I'm such a caramel fiend, and the caramels are just unbelievable. Those turtles I really liked. Oh, my God. I like the turtles. I love the peanut butter butter cups named after your mom. Pauline's peanut butter cups. I also love Furious Volvas. Don't get me started. Don't even get me started. Don't even get me started on the vulvas. Now we just say volves. We don't even have time to pronounce it. Can't beat a vulva. Can't beat a vulva. (laughs) Thank you, everyone. Sagittarian Matters is produced by Chris Sutton with assistance by Ponyo Georges. Our theme music is composed by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs of the band Bouquet. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time.